Today's reading is Exodus 5.22 to 6.13. It can be found on page 57 of the Bible's next year seats as well as on the screen. This is God's word. Exodus 5.22 to 6.13. Moses returned to the Lord and said, Why, Lord, have you, have you brought trouble on this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble on this people, and you have not rescued your people at all. Exodus 6. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, where they resided as foreigners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians, and I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. Moses reported this to the Israelites, but they did not listen to him because of their discouragement and harsh labor. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the Israelites go out of his country. But Moses said to the Lord, If the Israelites will not listen to me, why would Pharaoh listen to me, since I speak with faltering lips? The word of the Lord. Thanks, Karen. Uh, let's go to God in prayer a minute. Gracious God, as we look to hear things um, in, from your word, and as we consider how you might speak to our lives, we ask that you join us. As we come into a room, not all knowing each other, not coming from the same kind of backgrounds or places, not having the same kind of experiences this week with life, whether we come with joy or sorrow, whether we come with doubt or renewed faith, whether we come with um, boredom or excitement when it comes to thinking about you. We ask that you meet us each in a way that um, speaks to our own needs and help us to see that and have the humility and self-awareness to know that we're all in the same boat, that you look at us and we're, we're truthfully more of a mess than we care to admit and um, speak to us through this story in the way that you so often do, showing us that uh, despite our being a mess and being broken and our great need, that you continue to reveal yourself as the one who moves towards us in our mess so that we might know, especially through your Son, Jesus Christ, that we are more loved and accepted than we ever imagined. Speak to us through that grace this evening, we pray. Amen. You know, I thought it would be interesting to, um, to do a timeline of my life uh, based on points of frustration. Um, and, and, and the times, and, and you know, so I, I got just kind of not real intense about it, but I thought, 
how is it different to be frustrated at different phases of your life? And I thought about high school. I thought about being a teenager. And um, I, I thought of the night when my parents said to me, you know those plans you were really excited about going to with your friends tonight? Because you just said that really disrespectful, smart aleck thing to your parents, you know, to us, you're not going to go and do that, you know. How awful, how unfair that this, you know, these plans that I had, um, that they had to take that away from me in that moment. Good parenting, I see, looking back, and now I see what was the big deal. But at that time, those plans were so amazing. Um, I remember one time, those, those pictures of teenage frustration at parents. I remember my sister running to her room and slamming the door and saying, you don't love me at all. And that was, I wasn't really in on the conversation, but that part I heard and I thought, yes, they do. They totally love me. But that, that's, you know, that's teenage frustration. Then you move on. Like for me, I think of college, being frustrated about roommates and just you know, stepping on each other t- other's toes and the annoyances of living with someone else. I think of uh, plenty of little stories of my own where I was frustrated with roommates. Uh, my favorite, though, was not me. It was, my, it was one of my roommates. We were living together with six of us, and Martin came in holding this half-gallon jug of liquid detergent, um, and he comes in the door, and you can just see he's furious, and we're all sitting there watching ESPN or something. And he says, John, did you use my laundry soap and replace it with water? <laughs> and John did actually do that. That's exactly what John did. And then you, you, know, you move on to what now, the frustrations I deal with are so epic. I, I almost literally come to tears over spilled milk on a daily basis. I thought this week, uh, I thought of this this week when um, I was running around and I was doing the, getting the coffee going and the lunch is ready for school and everyone's set up with food um, for breakfast and I'm doing all this and woe is me, it's so, you know, this, I'm not going to get a single minute all day to just sit and read the paper, but... I got it all set up, and, and I sat down for my own food, which I knew this was going to be five minutes max, and a, a quick glance at the headlines, and that's the exact moment that one of the children decided to do some kind of breakfast victory dance and knock the juice over, and it went everywhere, and I'm just going, oh, you know, hold it in, hold it in, be gracious, right? So these are the frustrations of life. Those are the phases. I, don't, I think, seriously, though, you could look at your life and you, you could almost do a meaningful story of your life with the moments of, maybe not some of these sillier things, but the real moments of frustration in life. Because when you're really mad, when you're really frustrated, it actually is pointing to what's really important to you, right, in life. And what do you do with that frustration? How do you handle it? How, do you, um, how does it become something that you maybe learn from or you get through, you know? It, some of you are sitting here right now, and this, this just applies more than ever. There's curveballs being thrown at you in your life. Things aren't going how you planned, or you're just getting drugged through the mud, it feels like, and you're just thinking, when is this ever going to stop? There's no end in sight. I can't see a light at the end of the tunnel. What do you do? How do you handle it? Moses is mad. He's frustrated at this point in the story. That's what's going on. We're given a window into dealing with frustration, and we learn some things. Because Moses, uh, at this point, he had really taken a step out in faith, you could say, because God was a sort of a non-factor in his life, and his life had gone very much how he hadn't planned it. But at least it was predictable. At this point, God comes in and, and, and 
comes in with the signs and comes in with the burning bush and the words of promise of how Israel, Moses' people, he's going to return to them and bring them out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery to the promised land. In kicking and screaming, Moses eventually says, okay, I'm going to go do this. So he goes to the people and the signs and he tells them what God's going to do. He gives them the words and they believe. They totally believe him and they see him as the leader who's going to do this. And so they they follow and they're on board, probably much to Moses' disbelief that they really were going to follow along. So things are getting good and then they go to Pharaoh. And that's the part we, we didn't read right before this where Moses goes to Pharaoh and tells him this wonderful message and Pharaoh basically looks at the situation and says, oh, thank you, Moses, for, for laying this out for me so wonderfully and giving me the, the perfect way to squash this rebellion before it even gets started. You're, guess what? You're going to walk out of here and your people who you supposedly are leading are going to hate you and they're not even going to think anything different about me. He says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make your, the work of these people you know, the people who are doing our labor, I'm going to make it twice as hard, and everybody's going to know it's because you walked in here with this great idea about how you're going to lead them out into the desert to worship. Thanks, Moses, you're dismissed. <laughs> and that's exactly what happens. When Moses goes out and his leaders are furious at him, and they say, look what you've done, it's all your fault. So the people he's, God is saying, you're going to lead them, that's what they think of him. He's got no credibility. He's a laughingstock to Pharaoh. Oh, you're the leader. Okay, yeah, nice. Moses, the leader of the people of Israel, I'll show you. He's got no one. He's got no credibility. Everything's in question. Nothing, it seems, that God has done has happened, or that God said he was going to do has happened. He's frustrated. And I think through this story, we're invited. We need a story like this where we're invited to understand the dynamics of frustration and the dialogue with God that ensues. And so we're just going to look at a couple things that we draw out of this story. Um, The first is to look at your expectations. In the middle of frustration, in the middle of being mad at God, a really healthy thing can happen is that you stop and you look at your expectations. When you look at what Moses says in verse 23... I love how, how, how it really comes through in this translation. You know, uh, ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble on this people, and you have not rescued your people at all. Moses expected God to rescue his people by now. It really was an issue of timing. He, ex- he had expectations that he was bringing to the situation, and now is a time where he's looking at them, where they're coming to the surface. What did you expect? Um, I have expectations in life, and I get frustrated. I'm frustrated a little bit right now in life as we bring a fourth child into this world. And guess what? We've got a tiny little house, and the real estate market hasn't been going in our favor over the last four or five years. I would love, my expectations are, for a certain amount of square footage per child, right? And uh, I think sometimes I wonder if our neighbors are watching, just kind of looking out their windows going, how many children are going to come out of the house today? Out of that tiny little house across the street. We're like the household version of a, of a clown car in the circus, you know, with, and we're stacking them up. And, you know, it just seems like something's got to give. And I've got expectations. You could look at it if you've lived other places in the world and say they're very American, okay. But I have expectations. And right now, God seems unresponsive. 
It's, I admit it's not the biggest issue that's being wrestled with in this room even today. Some of you might look at it and you go, well, you know, that's very nice for you, Mark, that you struggle with that problem, but you have a spouse to struggle in with it as you go through that. You have someone when you go to bed at night who's there for you and you're there for each other. And I go to bed alone and it aches and it hurts and I pray and the prayer goes unanswered again for a spouse. Or for kids, you say, that's a nice story. I would love to have that problem. I would love to have the growing family, the kids. I'd love that to come. But it hasn't. The prayers go unanswered. Or someone says, you know, cancer is ripping a hole through our family structure right now. It's, it's gouging a hole in my heart, it feels like. I'd love to think about you know, petty little things like a bigger house. And so we're frustrated. We get frustrated and we get mad at God. Um mainly because you look at your life and you say, my life isn't being written the way that I expected it to be written. You know, And that is a realization that begins to hurt and it can be painful. And in the middle of it, actually, of course, is the lesson that God's writing the story and he has some different ideas for how the story goes. And frustration, in a, in a sense, is really a chance, I think, to ask a really important question. Whose mission is it? Whose mission is it that you're on? You look at your expectations and you can, if you sit with those and really think them through, suddenly you realize, you know what? Those support my mission. Those support what I had in mind for where life goes. And the book of Exodus, of course, is about, it's all about God's mission and people being called into it. And there's when, you, when it comes to God's mission, there's a caller, and there's one who ha, whose mission it is, and it's, we're not the caller. It's not our mission. And there's unfortunately not a playbook that's given or a roadmap that's given. That's what we'd like. But we are given promises, plenty of promises. The promises Moses knew were, I will, I will save your people. I will bring them up out of Egypt, to the, you know, out of the land of slavery, to the land flowing with milk and honey. It was an amazing promise. We've got promises. We've got even more than that. Those of us in the Christian church now, looking back, what did Jesus say to his followers? I will be with you, and I will come back again. I will be with you. I will return. We've got these promises, but too often, like Moses, we hear what we want to hear. And really, there is some of that going on in this story, because what God had told Moses was that, yes, I will save your people. I'll bring them up out of Egypt to the land flowing with milk and honey. But he also said, Pharaoh will not relent easily. He said that. And Moses is doing some of that selective listening that we all do. We do it. We do it all the time. If you're on this journey of the Christian faith, just think about this. The great rescue of your body and soul, if you're a Christian, comes down to an event in the life of Jesus where radical injustice in this heinous turn of events where Jesus is treated in such a way that he's, he's mocked, he's spit upon by these religious leaders, and he's killed. And that happened. That was perpetrated on the one, if you're a Christian, the one who you follow, the Son of God. The, so think about this. In God's mission, the climactic event in the story of the one we're following is Jesus 
and his suffering and his death on the cross. And those aren't usually our expectations for life. And Jesus says, come, take up your cross and follow me. Unfortunately, he doesn't say to me, come, I'll show you the bigger house and follow me. You know, come, follow me to the bigger house, right? That's not in there. Um, but I, I love how Peter says it to the early church. He says very simply, 1 Peter 4, verse 12, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fire, fiery ordeal that has come to you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. I love the way that goes. As if something, as if this is strange that you're that things aren't going well, that there's trouble, that you're frustrated. And he he helps us in this great reversal of our expectations with the next phrase. He says, "But rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ." So we look at our expectations, and faith, if we do that in faith with God, it. It, it, it teaches us some new things. It redirects us. It shows us some things about our own expectations that are helpful to notice and correct. But there's also another thing happening here, and that is that in the midst of frustration, and in, in the midst of being mad at God, keep the conversation going. Keep the conversation going. You see, one of the most important parts of this passage, I realize as I'm looking, all of a sudden I noticed the very first thing we're told, the very first words as you read this are, Moses returned. Moses returned to the Lord and said, I mean, just even those, take those, the whole phrase, but Moses returned. Moses returned. It's a huge lesson. It's a huge skill in the life of faith to do just that simple thing. Moses returned. It's not what everybody chooses to do. I got this quote on the far other end of the spectrum from Lord Byron, the 19th century British poet, very different approach. He says this, But what is hope? Nothing but the paint on the face of existence. The least touch of truth rubs it off. And then we see what a hollow-cheeked harlot we have got a hold of. You catch the deep cynicism in that, in that um, sentence. And you realize that that is really, that's, that's maybe on one far end of the, the spectrum, but it's part of a continuum of when our expectations aren't met. When, we meet, life, meet, when life greets us with trouble, you can go down a path of beginning to write things off and things get rubbed away and you disconnect. You disconnect from people because of anger, because you're mad, because you're frustrated. You disconnect from hope. You disconnect from God. And Moses models another way. And he comes with, not, right after we read this part about him returning to the Lord and saying, what he says is also really incredible. It's full of questions and accusations. Why, Lord, have you brought this trouble on this people? Is this why you sent me? He's asking questions. He's putting it to God. Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble on, his, on this people. And you have not rescued your people at all. It feels a little bit like almost a tantrum. And the truth is, God can handle it. God can absolutely handle bringing, keeping the conversation going, even if it means accusations and questions thrown at God's face. God can handle it. And the reason I know God can handle it is because if you read through the Bible, you can't miss the, 
the, the song book of faith, the prayer book of faith, the Psalms, there's 150 of them, and they're full of these kind of questions and accusations. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, flip through it sometimes. Read through the Psalms. Take a month to get through all 150 of them. And you'll actually be, realize you're being taught a, a skill, a faith skill, a lesson in keeping the conversation going. The skill, the ability to lament, to cry out to God because of your circumstances. That's what Moses is modeling here. Um, a, one mentor of mine just came out with a book. He's actually a Sacramento area pastor. And his book is called 150, After the Psalms. He says this, Churchgoers tend to be polite and staid. We like our religion organized. When we bring questions into the halls of faith, we prefer to have them scripted, often with hundreds of years' advance notice. But like untamed college students of the 1960s, the Psalms roar with their questions. The Psalms, I love this, the Psalms bootleg their untidy emotions inside the establishment. And that's exactly true. And that's, if you can keep the conversation going, that's actually a skill you develop. So you keep the conversation going by returning to God, but not necessarily, and don't get it wrong, because not necessarily with a robotic piety or an ironed-on kind of smile. I remember going to a funeral once of a, of, a, of a middle-aged father who lost his son in his prime, and he said something that to me sounded a little too sweet, a little too... Uh, I questioned whether, does he really believe that? Something to the effect that the, he eulogized his son, saying something like, if, if one person learns from this tragedy... You know, then it's, then it's worthwhile. And I thought, I, I told a friend of mine and he said, yeah. He said, don't you think he's cursing God at night? There's a sense in which, in the church, there's, there's no place for that ironed on kind of phony piety. That there's the psalm book itself, the psalms themselves teach us the skill. They put before us the way in which, not with robotic piety, not with iron on smile, but that when you're in the situation where, where your newborn child inexplicably comes down with something and dies, when, when you have a parent who, um, going in just at the time of retirement, they come down with a kind of dementia that has them just out of touch. And there goes all the plans, the, the time together, and the grandkids, and it's just a totally different picture. And it robs your joy. What do you do when these things happen? When your spouse is just not the person, or your prior, your former spouse, ex-spouse is not the person you thought they were, and it devastated you. What do you do? It's time to engage in dialogue and keep the conversation going with God. You notice what God does. He does some crucial things that are important to acknowledge as we close. He 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 in this conversation with Moses. He both looks backwards and he looks forward. He engages. Moses is not out of line for bringing these questions, for pointing the finger, for being mad at God. God walks along with him and he helps him look backwards and look forwards. As he looks backward, he says, this is who I am. This is the covenant I did make in real time with real people in the past. And then looking forward, over and over through verses 6, six and 8, he says, I will, I will, I will he reiterates, he knows what Moses needs. He knows what we need. And that's exactly the same kind of thing that is done. That powerful dialogue is done every week here 
This is an argument for the regularity of participating in Christian worship. Because you need to look backward together to the great acts of God's salvation that happened in real time. You need to be reminded. And you need to look forward. You need to be reassured. God will. God will. God will. And so we have, in, you know, in our worship services, we have the Eucharist, which we're constantly expressing what we remember and what we're looking forward to. Every week we do that. It's important. It develops important faith skills. We have the, the Psalms are sprinkled throughout our worship every week, teaching us um, really a language of faith. In our community pods, there's even on a, on a micro level with community, you're not only looking at Scripture in those week, week in and week out meetings, but you're also looking backwards on your own stories and looking forward and sharing in frustration and not putting on the iron-on smile and, and asking for help and asking for prayer and supporting one another. That's all part of this. Well, you know who's really good at keeping the conversation going in this kind of way that Moses does? Children. Children, they can be persistent. They will keep the conversation going. And um, like I think about um, just this week having a child say, a child who's sick and just cannot go to that birthday party because he will infect everyone, but saying, I am going along and that is final. And you just kind of, I couldn't help but do the same thing you did. It's just, okay, well, I'm, I can't help but smile and, and chuckle a little bit, but also admire the tenacity of engaging and really saying, this is what I want. This seems good to me, right? Because through his little eyes, this, you're bringing trouble on me, Dad. What do you know? And in my eyes, I'm seeing all these people getting sick and blaming us for bringing the sick kid to the party. In, a much way, in, in, in much the same way, Moses is dealing with God, and Moses can see this bigger picture. Moses says, why do you have me in this terrible place? Everyone hates me. It's awful. Nothing good is happening. And he's legitimate. That's all the evidence points to, all the evidence he can see. And God has a different vision. He has a different picture. He has a different level of seeing things, and he knows that it being, for it to get this bad makes it even more incredible. And for God's, God's record to be portrayed as even more glorious and amazing way when he finally does bring them out of Egypt. And not only that, not only that, that, that the stories about God would be great, but actually the allegiance of this people and the leadership of Moses, they're all going to be incredibly, substantially strengthened because they had to come to this point of absolute frustration and anger at God. God can see that. So stay in the conversation. Or no, um, look at your expectations. Keep the conversation going. And see if God doesn't become bigger in your story. And see if your faith doesn't grow a, a deeper, grittier authenticity than what it had before as you struggle. Let us pray. God of grace, use these words um, in some way to help us. May we be not afraid to develop a language of faith that may feel raw, that may feel um, a little more forward with you than we are used to. Um, but help us and meet us in our frustration. Um, and use your Holy Spirit, not only to teach us through it, but to... Um, but to help us in the moment as we struggle and as often things, things can seem really hopeless and uh, we can find ourselves in a very desperate place. Please meet us and join us even now as we move towards um, 
the celebration of the Lord's Supper at your table. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.